is Danish Dynamite, the Superliga podcast, brought to you by footballindenmark.com. Welcome to episode 22 of Danish Dynamite. Thank you as ever to everyone who is a regular and makes the time to listen whenever an episode drops. I know just how many quality podcasts are out there and how choosy we have to be to fit them all into our lives. So to be in your consideration is greatly appreciated. On today's show, I'm welcoming back a guy who knows more about Danish football than I could ever hope to. It's Gisla Thorsen of Mediano. Welcome back, Gisla. How are you on this fine sunny day? Well, I'm great. And ah, it's not so sunny, actually. If we had spoken yesterday, now it's more like Copenhagen or tropical Danish weather. It's windy. Um, but yeah, we got a little bit of sun. This is this is me being in London, where it's uh, where it is nice and sunny. So we get your weather a day later. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. And uh, well, you cannot look forward to what's coming. <laughs> Geisler, we got three weeks, well, maybe a little bit more, given the, um, the the Euro playoff. But three, four weeks left of the season. When the summer comes around, do you switch off from football completely? Or do you sort of dig into all the transfer rumours and watch the other Nordic leagues? Well, this summer we don't have a, a big international tournament. So obviously it will be more quiet. Um, but it's also a busy time for the Superliga with all the, as you said, uh, the transfer rumours, the stories about what's going on in different clubs, uh, who's going out, who's coming in. So it's not like a complete switch off for me but it's a more relaxed time maybe there's also a little time to watch uh, Tour de France and, and television and and um, yeah just enjoy the summer uh, hopefully it will be be better than it was last year <laughs> regarding uh, the weather at least yeah you can enjoy those mountain stages without having to keep an eye on uh, OB Horsens <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, you know, uh, a lot of people use uh, this um, Tour de France to sleep. You know, during those uh, early stages, at least they they put on the television. They just hear the sound. You can hear the the uh, the helicopter filming, and it's uh, like quite relaxing. And and you fall asleep, and then you you wake up. And maybe it could be be the case if you watch the Horsens games as well. I don't know if I can recommend it. <laughs> Out of 10, how would you rate your enjoyment of the Superliga this season? Where do you think this season stands relative to, to what we've seen recently? Well, I just thought about that question, doing my manners for, for the the show I'm doing tomorrow. And I, I think I used the word the most exciting uh, Superliga in, uh, in history, maybe even, um, regarding we have three, maybe even four teams competing for gold uh, at this stage uh, in the season. We have, um, as well, a uh, very exciting struggle in the bottom uh, with uh, now yeah, three teams uh, competing. So we don't have a lot of these games where you say, well, there's nothing really at stake. If I just look forward to this uh, coming round, round 30, I will, I will not say that there are any games where you can say, well, there's nothing nothing at stake here. Uh, either it's both teams um, who has lost uh, to, to play for or it's one of the teams. So it's it's an exciting season. I think it's a good season you chose to uh, launch your podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've only been following the Super League four or five seasons. So to me, it feels certainly like the most exciting one. But it's good to know that that goes back longer than I've been watching it as well. We had the season 2017-18 with uh, FC Midtjylland and uh, Brunby 
competing for the gold, uh, you know, this very dramatic season. I don't know if that was just prior to you starting uh, to following the Superliga. Uh, this goal, uh, Finn Bogerson scored in Horten in the yeah stoppage time against Brunby, you know, in the second last round. It was lost. Heartbreaking, heartbreaking for for all rugby fans. That was uh, quite an exciting season uh, as well. Is that the one where Bo Henriksen then went That's the crazy one. afterwards? Yeah, he yeah. He, he went uh, absolutely crazy on the touchline afterwards. Yeah, yeah, he's become a Bromby figure of hate ever since. I think. Yeah, then you know, uh, last year when uh, I think Horsen conceded a very late goal in one of the last games. And and Bohen Rickson was really down. And I think that was the revenge. At least I saw on social media a lot of Brunby fans posting uh, pictures of this uh, Bohen Rickson looking very, very sad. So, I mean, <laughs> what comes around goes around. And is it just me or does this season feel like it's gone on forever because of the, the World Cup break? I think back to, you know, I went to the first Copenhagen derby of the season and it was like Pep Biel hat-trick. And I think yeah. Pep Biel was playing for Copenhagen this season. It feels yeah, like... Yeah, yeah. Exactly, and I think FC Michelin have had five di- different uh, managers this season. I mean, it's it's like, oh, really? Uh, I, I don't know. In, in this uh, strange times we're living in, that that some things just seem to to be so fast. You know, from from week to week, we can't even remember what happened next week because they come a new week and new great stories. But then we we look back and say, well, it's. This season's been going on for so long with all these uh, twists and turns and plots. So, um, yeah, I used to call, uh, normally I call the Superliga this kind of soap opera, you know. <laughs> uh, no, it's, and it's in a, actually in a positive um, way because it's you, you can switch off maybe for a couple of weeks and then you can be back on the Superliga and and fit in straight away with all the stories. Oh, Brunby, they're still struggling. There's still something with the fans. FC Copenhagen, how are they uh, doing? It's it's like, um, yeah, it's like my favorite series. <laughs> and mine too, I should point out. Let's talk about some of the action from this weekend. And I guess nowhere else to start than the Copenhagen derby. There were some videos doing the rounds on social media of some violent clashes in a train station beforehand. What was the reaction to that in Denmark? Well, it's been quite strong. I don't know if I was surprised that it happened because normally, unfortunately, there, there are some incidents uh, usually before a derby, um, sometimes also during a derby. Um, but, you know, most fans, um, what I would call proper fans, uh, they have uh, obviously said this is... This is no way, in no way acceptable. I think also there has been uh, the the minister of uh, the justice department has also said something about uh, we need to 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 look at this and and uh, he has said that we need to to punish those people harder uh, than than we do now because it's it's unacceptable, you know. It also, uh, as you said, these pictures where where you've seen this. Uh, Lady, uh, old lady, getting knocked out, run over more or less by by those. Uh, yeah, we can call them uh, thugs or hooligans, whatever whatever we we like to call them. It's not okay. I mean, I can live with. I don't understand it if they meet in a forest somewhere uh, and have that fight there. But come on, on a public uh, train station with other people around, it's 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 not okay. 
Yeah, agreed. And is there a feeling that there's actually something that can be done to stop this? Because so far, there's been the the blanket bans of away fans in, mm. I think, two of the four derbies this season. And yet, you know, this was something happening the day before a game, nowhere near the stadium. What can they do to, to stop this? <laughs> yeah, what can we do? Um, I think you have to, to look at it in a in a broader way that there has always in history football and violence there has there has always been a connection and and obviously you you know that coming from uh, from England um where you had your fair share of the problems now you don't ex- experience a lot of trouble um in the Premier League, but I think if you go a level or two or three down in England, still you have these uh, troubles with with the football uh, when there's a football match going on. So, so I, I don't think you can eliminate it uh, completely, um, but you can do things that that makes it uh, harder for the thugs. Uh, I don't know if if. A harder punishment uh, will uh, stop them doing those uh, kind of things. Then I think you have to be uh, be a little bit more clever than me and know a little bit uh, more about crime and punishment than I do. Um, but but from what I've known is that I don't think it's the length of the punishment that that um, decides whether you you go out and do something stupid. Uh, but bans from the stadium, I think, will affect them even more. And then then. There's the question is if you can upheld upheld uh, these uh, bands um, because uh, they are very good to get into the stadium even though they have a band. But this about face recognition um, could be a way um, so you can at least make sure they don't come into the stadium because they have uh, done, done something uh, beforehand that might just for some of them say, okay, well, I'd better not do this because then I'll get a ban uh, from the stadium. I think one big mistake is to say they are not football fans. Um, They are football fans, uh, most of them, from what I know. They are very active football fans, uh, some of them. It's it's not like something, oh, they just like the violence. Yeah, they like the violence, um, but I think they like the football too, and this about supporting a team um, and all this. So I think we have to recognize this, but it's just not football fans uh, who act the, the way that, in my way, you, sh- you should act, in my opinion, yeah. Yeah, I said the exact same thing on Twitter yesterday, that it's natural to say these people aren't supporters because they're not supporters in the same way as most people. But ultimately, lots of the people involved in this will have been ordinary supporters and been drawn to this level of violence for whatever reason. And I think understanding how people go from standing on the terrace to going into organized fights, I think understanding that journey is going to be key to solving this rather than just saying, no, they're not part of us. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I don't have the answer, but but uh, as you point out, I think you have to um, have experts who, who know about uh, football culture, supporter culture, um, this ultra uh, movement, um, and, and use what they say. And don't think just because you are an elected politician that you have all the answers and can just say, uh, populistic things that will get your votes. Uh, instead, look at the the problems and and ask the the people who knows um, what we can do about it. Absolutely, and 
I think solving the the problem in England has been such a it's been such a complex thing because th- there's no one factor that has um, that has impacted it on its own. But what I would say is that one of the reasons why football and violence ha- is intrinsically linked wherever you look is to do with that idea of being territorial and that exactly. you know, your club represents your area. And I think that in England, the clubs have morphed to the size of, you know, there's probably more Manchester United supporters in the South than there are in the North. And so it becomes less about geographical location. As you go down the pyramid, things change. And that's why yeah. you see it you see it lower down. So it's just one piece of the puzzle. And I know that FC Copenhagen and Bromby are the two best supported clubs in the country. But it is, as you say, it's it's very inter- interesting. And it is about this culture and about belonging. And if you belong to one group, then you uh, mirror yourself in other groups. Uh, and one, one thing about strengthening your own bond is about hating and other groups so, so i think that's the dynamism that's uh, that's on um and and it is complex but um yeah i think we could um, <laughs> get a little help from england maybe to 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 help uh, yeah to help understand what's absolutely. Uh, on stake absolutely uh, on the pitch uh, FC Copenhagen were obviously coming back from uh, or, or, or trying to seek revenge for that one nil defeat at Parken in the in the previous derby a couple of weeks ago. Victor Clayson scored a, a beautiful diving header to open things up. Uh, the score then was uh, was levelled. Oh, he scored a penalty, and once again, Ankerson. I, I honestly don't have a vendetta against this guy, but he was caught oh. sleeping last week for a key goal. He gives away a really clumsy penalty. Is he becoming a liability for FC Copenhagen? I think actually it's not as if he has had a bad season whenever called upon, um, but but uh, it's quite clear for me that he's not on the level that he used to be on. And and I don't know if you can say the funny thing about this incident is that that he says afterwards that uh, he doesn't think it was a penalty because he uh, did hit the ball first, uh, and he also thinks that VAR should have intervened, but. Um, that's the funny thing about football that you can participate even on a very very high level without really knowing uh, the rules in details or the laws of the game. Yeah, I have to say it looked pretty clear for me when you slide in, but after after drawing level, Bromby disappeared really, and and Jordan Larson scored. It was a, a tap in goal, but an important one. Then a moment of madness from Vass, red card, and I think is that the most red, obvious red card of the season. Well, uh, one of them at least. Um, I think we just have to mention this uh, safe by Gabar on Christgon when it was still 1-1. I think that was uh, quite crucial. Had Brunby scored there, I think it would have been hard for uh, FC Copenhagen to come back. But um, a great victory for Copenhagen, obviously. And um, I think this uh, tactical uh, analysis of uh, Jakob Neistrup showed uh, in this game where he... Um, Diverted from the normal tactics and went into this, uh, yeah, I don't know if it's a 5-3-2 or 3-5-2, but with uh, three central defenders, even though he only had one fit central defender available. So that was uh, quite interesting. And I've I've criticised one of those one of those three in Peter Angerson. I, I should balance it by saying that I thought that Marco Stamenich playing out of his favoured position, he looked fantastic, and and also Elias Yella. W- what did you make of the performances of those two? Stamenich, he hasn't played much this season. He already agreed um, a contract with a Red Star Belgrade for, from starting from next season, 
Um, but he has always he has trained very well. Uh, Jakob Nestrup has praised the guy. He has never been a regular in Copenhagen, but whenever called upon, he has uh, delivered. And he did that um, and on a position that he normally um, doesn't play. So uh, you cannot praise the guy um, enough. And Jela, I think, is just is just a class act, you know. Um, very, very exciting player and great future for him. Do you see his future primarily on the right or the left? I know he can play both. On the right. Okay. For, for sure, he's, uh, he's um, better on the right. I mean, as you say, he can play on the left uh, whenever called upon, if it's necessary. Uh, but he's, um, I don't know, 10, 15, maybe even 20% better when on the right. Got it. Another FC Copenhagen fullback off the conveyor belt then to, to follow uh, Victor Christiansen. Wow. Mm, yeah, yeah. I don't know if, if Premier League would suit him that well, um, but I think he he is maybe not the next one on the block, but uh, Copenhagen maybe only will have him for, for the next season and then he will be off to, to somewhere bigger. And let's face it, the way things are going for Leicester, I don't think Victor Christiansen is going to be playing in the Premier League next season. No, no, it's a, it's a blow. And I actually think FC Copenhagen... They have a clause in the contract. If uh, Leicester survive, then they will get an additional uh, payment uh, for, from this uh, transfer. But uh, as you say, as it looks uh, now, it will be um, it will be tough for Leicester to to come back. Definitely, that result put FC Copenhagen top and really piled the pressure on on Norgeland playing later. Before we move on to Norgeland, what has been your opinion on Nystrup's impact since replacing Thorup? It's obviously can't be easy coming in mid-season. No, it cannot, and um, well, not even mid-season. I think it was after ten games in the Superliga, and they had lost six of those ten games. It was really what's going on there, and I mean six losses after 10 rounds, then it should be more or less impossible to, to be champions. Um, a good FC Copenhagen side won't even lose uh, six games during a whole season. So it has been a, a very tough start for him, but he got the team going from the beginning and he um, he really had a, a great impact. Uh, they had the spell with all the victories when they were chasing FC Norseland. Then they had a, a bad spell um, in the championship round uh, with some losses and they have been struggling, creating chances. They have not um, had all the clean sheets that they had before in the season. But now uh, I think they might be on the way back and um, in the running, um, top it again. I don't know. It will be exciting, but... Even if uh, FC Copenhagen don't become champions, you cannot say it's uh, Jakob Nesro fall because I think he, he has worked wonders with the, this Copenhagen side. Yeah, it sounds strange to say that about a team who is just coming off a championship win, but I think in the context of how the season had started and with the departures that, that occurred, both the start of the season and, and in January, I think, yeah, absolutely. And I think that they'll be a force next season to be reckoned with as well. Yeah, uh, let's see what what will happen in transfer window, both going in and out. Um, they have some problems that they have to address. Uh, they have to uh, also find a solution with these players they have that uh, are not playing. Uh, Karamoko, Babakar. 
Babakar, yeah, I almost forgot him uh, because he's so far away from the team. You also have this situation with uh, Amo. I don't think we'll see him playing in an FC Copenhagen shirt again. So they have to make space for for some players that uh, who can, um, yeah, give, give some back on the pitch, you know, because they have ha- had too too many of these um, yeah, bad signings. So after that result, the attention turned to Arus, where it was a packed stadium. Even an athletics track couldn't get in the way of uh, a fantastic atmosphere there. Hmm. And yeah, with AGF FC Norgeland, there was a really early chance for Nagalo to, to put FC Norgeland ahead, which he missed. Dueland went down the other end, hit the post. But the opening goal came from Koulibaly, a nice cross by Svensson. And the equaliser was a dagger in the 92nd minute, a free kick. And I wondered, should Andreas Hansen have done better there? I think so. Uh, I'm not a goalkeeper and I think it's uh, one of the, it's a topic that is uh, very difficult. You know, we always talk about this uh, goalkeepers union and where they um, protect each other, the goalkeepers. But uh, if you ask Andreas Hansen about this situation, I think he would uh, tell you that, that he should have done better uh, because it's, it's his side, you know, uh, the ball is going in. And I think the thing is he, he makes a little step to the right um, to try to cover the ball if it's coming over the wall. Um, and the wall, uh, yeah, is just standing there and, and he can't really see that the ball is coming the other way uh, and he doesn't get back in time. So, it yeah, it was... Uh, you cannot uh, characterize it as a, a big, big, a huge mistake, but uh, I think you'll be disappointed. Manager of the year is going to be very hard this year, but where does Uwe Rosler fit into your list? Quite high. <laughs> because one year ago, you know, uh, AGF, they were struggling. Uh, they didn't, I think, what they won one game uh, in... After the winter break last year, it was something like that. And had the season been two or four games longer, I think even they would could have struggled to to keep uh, Weiler behind them. They they really had problems. So what he has done in such a short time is uh, very impressive. Um, he uh, steadied the ship, as we say. Uh, and, and I think we've seen this spring that they also have stuff to offer uh, going the other way you know offensively and they are very very hard to beat um and and they have a lot of character uh they are they are a team that that plays in the urvis spirit i would say definitely and on the other side of the pitch have you been surprised that fc norgeland have been able to maintain their title run without top scorer andreas Schellrup? no because they had uh, i think eight points lying ahead of fc copenhagen so so they have maintained their title run but they have not had a great 2023 uh, it has been disappointing for fc norgeland they haven't had a clean sheet this year uh, I think that's uh, quite significant. They have to score two goals in order to win football matches. They have these players that can score the goals. Uh, obviously, uh, Shelrob is a, is a big, big miss because he's such a good player. They hope that Emiliano Macondas could take over um, and, and he hasn't been able to, uh, mainly due to this injury that will also that will keep him out for the rest of the season. So I think that has been very unfortunate and 
Vahid Fakir, uh, big talent, um, but he hasn't really stepped in, even though he has uh, scored some goals. Yeah, it's been it's been tough for him, and I think losing Marcondes uh, is definitely going to be a blow. I I thought it was telling that they were you know minutes away from a, a clean sheet in Aarhus, and it was Kian Hansen who gave away the free kick, and I think it was needless. You know, I would have fancied him to win that header without the elbow. And yeah. of course, we can say in retrospect, he shouldn't have given it away. And nine times out of 10, that free kick sails into the hands of the goalkeeper. But looking back on it, you do wonder uh, like what could have been there. Yeah, I think they can look back at a season where they can find these moments. I mean, most teams can normally, but but I can pick out two or three moments where you can say, well, if it had just been a little bit different than if Norseland would have been champions. Um, I'm thinking about this bar decision against the FC Midtjylland in the last minute um, where Nagala was hit from one or two yards and and they gave a penalty. Uh, I don't know why. Um, I'm not a bar referee. Mm. I don't understand football if that's a, a penalty. Then there was the game against uh, AGF uh, at home. The first one uh, where they had a penalty, they were 1-0 up and Andreas Jellerup handed this uh, penalty to Mess Christian Hansen, who missed the penalty. And then what happened, Agif uh, went up and got a late equalizer. So they dropped two points there as well. You can find these uh, situations and I think they will uh, look back at these situations if they should not win the championship. I should have given a disclaimer there that any FC Norgeland fans cover your ears for that bit because it's <laughs> traumatic going back in time and, and listening to that. As you mentioned, there are four teams in the running for the title. And I guess the third significant game from the weekend was uh, happened on Monday, actually. Ranners mm. nil, Viborg 2. It was the 20-year anniversary of Ranners, which I guess that, to me that feels incredibly young for a football team. But in Denmark, that's the case, isn't it? Lots of teams are the result of mergers or whatever and have exactly. been founded more recently. I thought that Karlgren was really responsible for keeping the score nil-nil at half time. He, he made a number of really smart saves. Uh, but it turned to you know, Ashuri, who looked as dangerous as ever. And it felt like if Viborg could maintain this, it would only be a matter of time. And sure enough, in the second half, Saeed scored the opener. Superb low curled effort from outside the box. And I, I, I don't know if I saw this right, but it looked like he forgot where the Viborg fans were. And Yepe Groning was saying, they're over there, they're over there. And yeah, he yeah, celebrated yeah. In front to, of them. To, 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 to find down to all the Viborg fans who made the way to think there were more than <laughs> 1,000. Yeah, and and Vibor is just uh, such an exciting team to watch, and it's such a a great story, you know, uh, with this low low budget they have, but they just seem to to find those gems in Europe. Uh, and recently, it has been uh, Ilya Sichuri. Uh, what a player and what a performance he he had. And now they can look back on Sichuri and say well, why didn't he just come on time to this tactical meeting um, some weeks ago? Because, you know, he had this, he was put on the bench um, for the game against uh, AGF Mm -hmm. uh, in round, must be in 28, yeah. Um, They could have used him there when they lost 3-0. But, yeah, what a great player he is, actually. Definitely. And yeah, it was him who put the ball on a plate for Saeed for the second goal. And, mm. you know, this is a terrible analogy, but Viborg feel a bit like one of those lizards where even if they lose an arm or a leg, it regrows and they're stronger than ever. Because since the season began, they've lost Sorensen, lost Grot, 
lost Lonvike, and then that's on top of Bucky's, Kramer, several others in the summer. And yet all that's done is given the likes of Saeed and Ashuri the chance to shine even brighter. I mean, how exciting are those two as a as a pair? And are you as excited as me to be watching this V-Ball team grow every week? I am, for sure. Um, what I'm fearing is that Ashuri, with his uh, recent performances, will attract so much interest that he will be in the next one out of the window and it will... Yeah, be this summer that uh, Vibog uh, will lose him. I think the question with Vibog is, and the question everybody is putting in Denmark is, can they keep on replacing those players that you just mentioned? We could also talk about uh, Sebastian Koning, the top scorer um, they lost uh, last winter, yeah, almost one and a half year ago. We were speaking about, well, it will be a major blow for them, but yeah, then you had this court just coming through and scoring all the goals instead. So that's the question. Can can Vibo maintain this um, tremendous ability to replace great players with uh, even greater maybe players uh, on a very uh, low budget? That's uh, That's very impressive. Yeah, and it was also announced a couple of weeks ago that Clint Lehmans was going to be leaving in the summer. Uh, his contract's up and I think he's he's going to be looking for another club. So that's another big loss. He I know he's important, uh, particularly in an attacking sense, but you know he's a key part of that midfield. He is, he is. He has is, he is done well. Um, but I think Aturi would hurt them more if they should lose him this summer. Definitely. Um, the only major chance Rana's had all game was a penalty on the 75th minute, which Marvin Ego smashed against the post. And I think 2-0 was probably a fair scoreline in the end. The result meant that Viborg leapfrogged AGF back into third, or as my guest last week, Liam Barker, likes to refer to it, bronze position. I'm going to keep asking the question every week until it's mathematically impossible, but Viborg are only three points away from first place. They've got three games to go. One of those is against the bottom side in the championship group, uh, which is Bromby, and the other two are against the two teams above them. So will they improve on third and could there still be the possibility of a fairy tale championship in Viborg? I think so. Why not? I mean, three points and their gold reference is also, uh, yeah, it's not the greatest. So FC Copenhagen have a point on them there. So, so they, in reality, they have to, uh, to gain four points on Copenhagen, but they have Copenhagen at their home soil. And then you have the last game away against FC Notion. They have to win the three games, but if they do, why not? I mean, you cannot count Vibo out of this uh, championship race at all. And if they were to win it, would that be? Do you think that would be the biggest fairy tale league title that you can remember, or ha- have there been? No, we had Hafulia uh, uh, in two thousand when they, yeah, everybody tipped Hafulia uh, for relegation, and Hafulia that's. This little, little, tiny, tiny town around uh, 40 or 50 kilometers south of Copenhagen. Uh, now the club has merged with uh, Kure, so it's called uh, HB Kure. But Hafulia with uh, John Jensen as a playing manager, they won the championship. And it, this, I think there lives around maybe eight, ten thousand 10,000 people in Hafulia. It's wow. like... Yeah, yeah. It, it there you can talk about uh, a fairy tale, and then they they went down the year after. That was also pretty amazing. Wow, that yeah, that is crazy. Uh, so, so John Jensen's 
position as a, a Danish football legend is just further enshrined domestically and internationally. Yeah, that was uh, great. But I think they the one with the uh, lowest point tally ever in uh, in Danish football. I think they had like one point seven point a game or something like that, and their goal difference was more or less neutral. So it was one of those seasons. <laughs> Whatever it takes. Um, yeah. <laughs> the the other games all focused around the uh, the relegation battle. Um, FC Michelin beat Horsens three one. Obi drew one all with Obi. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, and Silkeborg dance against Aalborg, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, and Silkeborg beat Lyngby one uh, nil. I don't think anyone was massively surprised that Horsens lost to FC Michelin. You know, they're a team who shouldn't really be in the relegation group based on talent. And I think the third goal, but by FCM, really showed um, that that talent. You know, great tackle by Christopher Olsen, trademark finish for Gustav Isaksen. Mm. I was going to ask. Horsens have now lost four of their last five. It's looking pretty bleak for them. They are, however, only a point from safety. What can they do to address this slump? Or is it a case of the engine has just run empty at this point? I think in the first part of the season, they gained more points than they yeah, should. Uh, and, and, and should as, as men does when you look at those uh, underlying stats as expected goals. They were performing very, very well in the beginning of the season. Uh, especially at home, that should really have been enough to save them because it has not been... I mean, a lot of people are talking about Olborg and how well they are doing, and they are doing well. But if you look at the points, it's not like Olborg, they have been flying uh, this spring at all. Um, it has more been the case that uh, Horsens more or less uh, have stopped gaining points. I think they only won once uh, against Silkborg away. And they have um, had a lot of terrible games. So, yeah, they lack quality. They do. Uh, and if they go down, you cannot say it's it's like a disaster or it's, uh, it's, it's because they have a bad manager at all. Because I think that uh, Jens Berglasko has done a tremendous job um, in Horsens. His problem is that, that he got a lot of points before New Year and, and only a few after New Year. So so the point tally, I'm, I'm not, I mean, you cannot say they have 27 points and that's not bad for uh, for Horton's side. The problem is they, they gained most of those uh, points in the first part of the season. So now it's it will be, yeah, of course, disappointing for them to go down because they had this big, big uh, caution um to to the to the relegation zone it's like that saying if you want to if you're being chased by a cheetah and you want to avoid being eaten you don't have to be faster than the cheetah you just got to find someone who's slower yeah that's right that's right that's uh that's a good comparison and and i think that's what's happening in in the bottom of the super league this season yeah, I have to say the Silkeborg Lungby result did surprise me. I think Lungby have been playing with such confidence and belief in the past few weeks, while Silkeborg have looked absolutely abject. So I expected this to go a little differently. Whether it was pressure or fatigue or whatever, I don't know. But Lungby's defence looked well off the pace, really sloppy passing, lack of marking, and the goal was a complete mess defensively. They only had one shot all game. Uh, how did you see this one? Did you know? Could, could it be a reality check that you, you know even a team like Silkeborg with nothing to play for can be a challenge? Yeah, but they had something to play for in that game because it was 
had they lost to Lyngby, then you would say they are part of the relegation struggle. So it was like a, a big game for, for Silkeborg. And I think it was for Lyngby, it was one of the first times this year where they looked as a Division One team and not a Super League team. But I think uh, it, I would not be surprised if uh, Lyngby, they bounce back and beat uh, Odense this weekend. They could well do. Yeah, and actually the only team in the bottom three to pick up any points was Alborg, who managed a, a draw at OB, a draw that by virtue of their vastly superior goal difference, and I say vastly superior, it's still minus seven, but Horsens is a lot worse. But um, yeah. it, it takes them clear of the, relega- of the relegation zone. It looked like this could be another rough night for them. You know, OB came out of the gates fast, scored inside the first 15 minutes through Sabi. But the second half, I thought, Albo came back and, you know, they were rewarded with a goal through the unlikeliest of sources, Pedro Ferreira in the Ah. six-yard box. How many times do you see that? And I wanted to ask you, how significant is that point? Does it change anything for you in the relegation race? Well, it's the first time this season that the Horsens are under in the relegation zone. And I think it's the first time since September the 10th or something like that, that the OB they are over this um, relegation zone. So, I mean, yeah, it, it changed a bit. And, and I think every at this point of the season, uh, every point is very, very useful. And psychologically also, I think it changes that now they can see, okay, now we actually, if this season ended now, we would not go down. And for Horsens, they will say, well, for 29 matches we have been over in safety and now we are we are going down so yeah it changes do Alborg maybe take their foot off the gas a little now that they mentally that fight to stay safe is quite motivating yeah i um, hear what you're saying but i don't think they will because if if they do they will be in um, in trouble um, mm. because um yeah as i said every point counts um the question about Olborg is this you we have the cup final on Thursday and they play early on Sunday so um, they might be a, a little bit of a fatigue when they're playing on Sunday and and how do they uh, yeah manage those two two games in a very short space of time the team they're playing in the cup final is obviously FC Copenhagen and looking ahead to next weekend, the standout game for me is is FC Co uh, versus AGF. Such a hard one to call and as you say, they're going to have uh, 90 minutes, maybe 120 minutes of uh, of a cup final in their legs at that point. How do you see that game going? That's a great question because uh, you, you need a lot of energy to play against uh, AGF because they, they come with a lot of power. So FC Copenhagen, they have to mobilise a lot of power for that game. And they are without uh, Victor Klaasen. They are without Haraldsson. They are without Staminich. I don't know if he would have played, but they are they are suspended. So again, uh, Nestop, he has to, to find solution and find a team that can match uh, AGF on this uh, power and then see if it's enough. And AGF supporter Patrick, who I know is a listener of the show, he mentioned that there were seven players for AGF who uh, were at risk of missing out on this fixture if they got booked on the weekend. And amazingly, all seven of them avoided the dreaded yellow cards. So AGF go into it without those suspensions, which uh, yeah could have been so costly for them. Yeah, and that's I think that's also one 
key point for AGF and, and the success that I've had that they have more or less been able to to play with the same team. I know Mikkel Doolon, he has had uh, an injury, but the key players, um, they have been fit. So so that's also the story of uh, AGF's season, that, that they have been able to, to play with most of their, if we can say, stars for uh, long periods of the season. Just before we wrap up, I've got two more quick questions. Firstly, do you know much about Vila and Vior and what could we expect from them in the Superliga next season? Hmm, Vila, they they are, yeah, what can we expect from them? They have a budget that um, is on Superliga status, you know. They have been the, the, the Danish yo-yo team. Uh, they come up, then they go down. They come up, they go down. Then some years ago, they actually managed to uh, avoid relegation. But then the season after, last season, actually, they went down. Now they're back up. It's a great club, great stadium, great supporters. I think um, a lot of people, they have this uh, is kind of a secret love for Weile because they they were the team of uh, Alan Simonsen and, and they had this brand uh, of playing pretty football. Like, I don't know... Can West Ham maybe had this brand years ago with this uh, Academy of English Football. Vile had a little bit the same, you know. So a lot of people have an affection for Vile. And I think they they will, obviously they will struggle, but, but they will, I would not be surprised if they manage to survive. This is quite an amazing story. If, if they go up, uh, we assume they do. They have not been in the Superliga since '97, I think. They have been all the way down to uh, the, the Denmark Serien, uh, which is the at that point was the fourth best league in Denmark. And then they have been climbing up again and been in the Division 1 for, for a handful of seasons, maybe a little bit more and progressed a little bit with the season to season to season with uh, Per Fransen, the former Bolton player as a manager. He has done a great job, but it's a, a, a club with tradition. With uh, They have won the, the championship uh, a couple of times, but they have not played a part in Danish t- f- top football for yeah, 25, 30, maybe even 40 years, you could say, since since they last won the championship, I think was in in 80. So it's it's uh, it's a great story, but, but you know, they play at this old, old stadium that looks like it looked when they won the championship the last time. And the players are not even full-time professionals. So it will also be, we can call it a fairy tale, but uh, I would be surprised if, if we all manage to, to survive uh, in the Superliga. So what you're saying is they're, they're going to finish in the top three and make it into Europe next season? <laughs> yeah, uh, that, <laughs> then, uh, if, if, if you want to be a rich man, um, and <laughs> then play on that, uh, on, on the boogies, but that will not happen at all. I mean, they will pick up uh, points here and there and they will get some wins, but I think everybody in Denmark will say they are the first team to go down. And... You go to loads of games a season, maybe maybe hundreds. What's been the most memorable game you've seen on Danish soil this season? Well, as you said, uh, when we early in the show, this season has been so long, you know, I can't hardly remember what happened in August. And, and you mentioned this Pep game, or Pep uh, playing FFC Copenhagen, making a hat-trick. Uh, 
against Brunby and Pagan. That was that was a good football game. But what I would say stands out for me are those three games recently about uh, FC Copenhagen against uh, FC Norseland in the Cup and then in the Superliga. I think parts of those games, the, the level um, has been very high. Also, when they met in Pagan in the beginning of the spring season, 2-1 for FC Copenhagen, that was a great game as well. So those battles between uh, number one and two, they have been uh, the standout for me. But uh, let's see if uh, Vibor, uh, yeah, <laughs> overtakes both of them and get a surprise uh, victory in the civilian. The best could yet be to come. I think so. I, I think so, actually. We have uh, more twists and turns coming up. Absolutely. Gisela, thank you so much for giving up your time. And yeah, it was really fascinating chatting to you. For everyone listening who wants to find your podcast and wants to find your writing online, where can they head to? To uh, Mediano. Um, that's uh, M-E-D-I-A-N-O uh, point and then N-U. Um, that's uh, our website. And um, obviously, um, look up Mediano on the, your favorite podcast player. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Gisley. Enjoy the rest of the season and enjoy a well-earned Tour de France break this summer. Thank you very much.